0: A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Well, this week, um, one evening, uh, I was perusing through Netflix. I was looking for something for Catherine and I to just kind of enjoy to, as we uh, ate some dinner. And I, I saw a little ad pop-up for a new movie, and, and it has uh, Mark Wahlberg in it and uh, uh, Kevin Hart in it. And, and, of course, I like both those guys, so I read the review, and it was the typical, you know, buddy movie. You know what I mean by a buddy movie, right? It's, uh, it's, the, it's the friends, and they, they have some kind of adventure. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a plot line, and it always works, it just seems to. I mean, even a bad buddy movie can still be good at places, right? And, and here's the thing about it. When you think about it, it works because it's tapping into something that every one of us cherish, every one of us need, and we understand the need for f- deep friendships. Friendships make life different, and this goes all over, and, and this concept. Actually, goes all the way back into antiquity. Think about um, Homer, the Iliad—not Homer Simpson, the, the writer, right? Uh, the Iliad. Uh, at the center of that great epic is a friendship. Here's Achilles, the great warrior, and Patroclus. And at a critical moment in the Iliad, Patroclus puts on Achilles' armor because Achilles is pouting Uh, and, you know, in conflict with Agamemnon, and so Patroclus puts the armor on, and he leads the troops into battle, and there's this ferocious battle, and Hector, the prince of Troy, sees when he thinks it's Achilles on a battlefield, and he seeks him out, and he kills him, but of course, it's not Achilles, it's Patroclus, and when Achilles finds out that Patroclus, his best friend, is dead, all of his arguments with Agamemnon and everything else goes away. He goes into a rage, and he goes before the walls of Troy, and he begins to hector, hector, ha, ha. And, uh And he calls him out finally, and there's this climactic battle in, in the subsequent event. Phenomenal story, and highlighting how important friendship is. The ancients understood, they valued the concept of friendship. You fast forward a few centuries from Homer and you come to Aristotle, who asked the question, what is a friend? And he answered it by saying it's a single soul living in two bodies. The Roman philosopher Cicero said, life is nothing without friendship. His compatriot Seneca said, friendship is where you can understand and be understood, where you can know and be known, Friendship. You go to the medieval medieval times to the, the French uh, poet, Eustace uh, de, uh, Deschamps. He said, friends are relatives you make for yourself. I love that. That's a great one. Friends are relatives that you make for yourself. If you come up to the centuries to our day, C.S. Lewis wrote, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, you too, I thought I was the only one. That was a great one. And then in honor of all of you people from Philadelphia who are suffering after your complete shellacking last night by the dolphins, I'm going to bring to you people somebody that you would recognize. Before Rush Limbaugh, before Sean Hannity, uh, there was Dr. Bernard Meltzer. Some of you guys know that guy. He was a big talk show host for many years. And this is what he said about friendship. He said, a true friend is someone who thinks you're a good egg, even though he knows you're slightly cracked. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? Friendship. Solomon, way before Homer and the other authors uh, that God used in the book of Proverbs, understood the critical need that we have for friends and the important role that they play in our life. And, And it's for this reason that you see and have seen throughout the book of Proverbs Solomon warning his children about their friends because their friends have the power and the ability to destroy their life, to wreak havoc. Your children, my, my mom was always giving me wisdom about my friends. She was always concerned about my friends. My mom would, for example, gave me this proverb. She said, she would. Always, I've heard it once, heard it a dozen times. Son, if you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Yeah. In other words, if your friends are like dogs, it's going to bite you. She also gave me no- children. She also gave me another very important nugget of wisdom when it comes to friends. You can pick your friends, and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your no- friends' noses. Okay, <laughs> so children, you don't forget that nugget of wisdom when it comes to friendship. Okay, shouldn't have said that, but anyway, <laughs> couldn't resist. So uh, on this morning, right where we are highlighting living in biblical community with one another and encouraging you to commit yourself to a discipleship group. Um, it's imp- appropriate that we're touching on this aspect of God's wisdom. Let's not forget that the reasons that we value, or one of the reasons that we value biblical community is that it tees up the opportunity for us to develop deep, godly, biblical friendships. Friendships. When you look at all of the friendships in the Bible, and there's several, like David and Jonathan and different ones like that, you see this very simple truth that we're going to kind of unpack this morning by way of a takeaway truth, that the best friendships, they glorify our truest friend. Our best friendships bring us to our truest friend. They are built around our truest friend. And I want us to see the truth of this within these verses here in the book of Proverbs this morning by way of three gospel applications. First of all, God created us with a deep need for friendship. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. Chapter 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Both of these Proverbs are pointing to a certain underlying reality. In and of myself, I am not enough. We we are not complete. We are not self-sufficient. We do not have it all together. We need to be sharpened because there are aspects of us that are what? Dull. There are going to be situations in life that are so serious, that have a certain uh, nature to them, that we have to have friends so that we can come through those instances successfully. We first see this incompleteness, this need for friendship and companionship in the garden. In Genesis chapter two, as God looks at Adam, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And why would this perfect man who was not yet marred by sin, Why, when God looked at him, would he say, we need to change order in creation? There's an issue here. Why would he say that? It's in the previous chapter. Chapter 1, when God says, let us, notice the plurality there. Even in the opening page of Scripture, we see something important about God. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In this very opening account of the world's creation, we see that the God of Christianity is very different than the God of other world religions. Most world religions, they're have some form of God that is polytheistic. In other words, it's many, many gods. There are a few that are monotheistic. For example, like Islam with Allah, one God. Christianity is a monotheistic faith. We believe in one God. Our God is one God, yet he exists as three persons within that oneness. We have something that uh, we value as uh, reformed, People, we, we look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism. In the Larger Catechism, this is what it says about the nature of God, this oneness yet plurality of persons within the Godhead. There be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties, one in essence, one in substance, one in power and authority, they're equal in power, authority, and glory. Yet throughout the Scriptures, you see this one God as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit continually expressing their eternal friendship, their eternal relationship, their eternal biblical community that they had with one another by how they enjoy one another how they love one another, how they serve one another and support one another. You see it in how they defer to one another and even glorify one another. When God created us in his image, he created friendship and community within us because he exists within perfect, eternal community and friendship and companionship. This is hardwired within us. Our need for friendship and community is one of his many gifts to humanity because it is a gift of himself to humanity. So since we are created in the image of God, we need to recognize how important it is, how we are hardwired It's part of our makeup to need deep, biblical, godly, wise friends and biblical community where those friendships can exist. First application. Second application, because God truly loves us, he befriends us through the gospel. Verse 5 of chapter 27 says, "'An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from from an enemy.'" This nugget of God's wisdom is, is certainly true and it gives us an insight of what it looks like to be a true friend to one another. True friends <laughs> Don't don't there we are, okay. True true friends don't just tell each other what they want to hear. A true friend loves us enough to tell us the truth even if it hurts us so that we don't experience greater harm, greater tragedy. You know, several years back, during a uh, particularly difficult, um, contentious, and stressful time of ministry uh, here at Covenant, uh, a friend from my small group said, hey, Jerry, can we get together for lunch? And i want to talk to you, and I have some questions and things I want to talk to you about. And so uh, we, we met for lunch, and we caught up, and... Uh, on conversation. I, I know we talked a lot about football because it was that, it was the fall time of the year. And, but at one point, um, my, my friend got really serious. He could see it in his demeanor. And I could see that he was nervous. It's like, I, I thought he was coming, maybe going to tell me he was having marital problems or something like that, you know, but it wasn't about him. It was about me. And, and he said to me, he said, Jerry, he said, I hope you know I love you which is why it is really hard for me to say what I need to say, what I'm about to say. Well, of course, that got my attention. And he said, Jerry, you are blowing it, man. He said, you're blowing it. He said, I, I know that you're in the middle of, of law. it's hard right now, and you're getting, there's attacks, and it's just difficult, and, and, and it's, you know, it's stressful. He said, but, but your pride and your sin is coming to the surface so much that you, you're making this about you. And it's not about you, man. It's not about you. But because you're making it about you, you're making things worse, not better. Now, I heard that, and you know, I admit my, uh, my first reaction was to be a wee bit defensive, (laughs) which kind of proved his point, didn't it, right? It actually proved his point. But my friend loved me, and he he worked through my defensiveness, and the more we talked, the more I got convicted and realized he was 100% right. I was blowing it. It was my sin. It was my pride. I was making it about me, and it's not about me. And so then that meant I had to do the hard thing of going to people who I knew that I had offended and ask them to forgive me for my words and for my attitudes and how I'd made a difficult situation harder than it should have been. On that day, the open rebuke from my friend was the demonstration of true loving friendship. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. In other words, true friends speak the truth in love to one another. This is what the apostle Paul was getting at in Ephesians 4:15. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. We will not become transformed into the image of Christ if we do not have friends where we're living in community with one another who have the right to say hard words, words that hurt, but ultimately they do not harm because God uses them to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Holding back is actually the sign of an enemy, not a true friend. Because when you hold back good from somebody that will make them into the person that God wants them to be, you're instead encouraging them to be the person that God does not want them to be. That's what an enemy does. That's not what a true friend does. But you know, as I pondered the truth of this proverb, I was struck by how it applies to our friendship with God. I mean, think about it for a moment. In the fall, you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, you know, he gives to Eve. Now Adam has... His perfect friend, he breaks out in the song. Their husband and wife, I mean, here's this companionship and friendship that is meant to mimic what is existing within the Godhead. And they're the friends of God. They meet with God personally in in the cool of the evening when he would visit the garden. They have this relationship and friendship where they, unlike anything that's happened since then within humanity, they have this kind of relationship with God, and then they prove that their friendship with God was fickle from their side of the equation. They sin, and their friendship with God was destroyed by sin. But in spite of their fickle friendship and our fickle, fickle friendship with God, he responds instead with true, loving friendship. What does he do? What did he do? He, he tells us the truth about our situation. He doesn't hold back. He tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory, that the wages of our sin is eternal separation from him, and that even on our very best day, we will never be able to earn his friendship because our sin is so egregious in the sight of our creator that we are doomed. And instead of being his friends, we are his enemy. His words, man, that that hurts. It challenges us. It challenges our pride and our self-righteousness. And we want to become defensive when we're faced with this truth, just like I was defensive with my friend. But the fact is that even though his words hurt, they are not harming us. They are actually opening our eyes to what is real and they are offering healing and forgiveness. And then in the ultimate step of friendship god the son takes on flesh and he dwells among us and he lives the life that we are to live and then just as he proclaimed to his disciples he demonstrated the depths of his friendship there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends because of his loving friendship towards us he was pierced for our transgressions The prophet says he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. The wounds of our truest friend, overcome the damage that our sin could ever do to our friendship with God. Through his wounds, through him laying down his life on our behalf, we have been healed so that we no longer have to be enemies of God, but instead we can be called friends of God. This is the good news, and this is how God is, has befriended each and every one of us who follow Jesus this morning. He The ultimate, truest friend reconciled us to our creator. One final application this evening. Our best friendships will mirror the love and the faithfulness of our truest friend. There are friends, the proverb says, who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Many of us have experienced this in life. We have family. You may have a good relationship, bad relationship, mediocre relationship, but regardless of your relationship with your family, you have someone in your life who you're actually closer to than a family member. Maybe even in your brother. That's a friend who you can turn to. But the ultimate fulfillment of this proverb, of this nugget of God's wisdom, is in Jesus, our truest friend. It's embodied in our Savior the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so I want us to flesh this out a little bit. His friendship towards us by giving you four words, and because some of you love alliteration, they all start with the letter C, okay? Four words, and I hope that these four words challenge us to intentionally go deeper in biblical community and biblical friendship this ministry year. With these four words... I want to challenge all of us, especially those who are embracing this call to be in community with one another. I want to challenge us to move beyond surface friendships with the people in our church to to a deeper friendship with at least one or two. To move beyond surface community and fellowship within our discipleship groups to to deep, biblical, authentic community. And these four words are critical for that. First word, constancy, constancy. Uh, uh, Proverbs 17, 17, we read it earlier. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. In our time of deepest need, Jesus is always there, isn't he? Even when we sin and we reject him and we trade the pleasure of his blessing and his power for the temporary pleasure of sin. He does not abandon us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't throw up his hands and just say, well, I'm gonna have to put up some boundaries around that friendship and move on. Not at all. He faithfully stays present, never abandoning, never leaving, never forsaking, always constant, offering the very help that we need just in the nick of time, Jesus, our true friend, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your best day, your worst day. He's your true, constant, faithful friend. Constancy. Second word, candor. Candor. Um, we have different values in our church, and, and we publish them, and we review them with you from time to time. But it's interesting what our first value is. If you look at the list of values, our very first value is the value of living authentically with one another. Living authentically is living candidly, living transparently with one another. Let's read the value aloud in unison, can we? Living authentically. In a world of guilt and shame, we share together in the grace of God as we repent of our sins and heal from our wounds. The Scriptures tell us in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, that people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we read, "...confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results." What are these verses calling us to? They're calling us to a level of candor, of transparency, of authenticity that is not natural. It is supernatural. It's not easy. It it takes intentional, hard dedication to live in, in community with one another as friends to the extent where we will actually confess our sinfulness and where we're struggling with one another. When we come together, so often the temptation is for us to conceal, to hide, to pretend. But the gospel gives us the right, the power, and the ability to be candid with each other. Candor. You know, here, my friend who met with me, he helped me healing through the gospel because he was candid he was authentic, and he was transparent with me. This is hard. And, and those of you who maybe are in, in triads, you know, we have different kinds of groups. For those of you who are new to our church, we have all kinds of discipleship groups, you know. But it, it's just part of who we are here in our church. We have, we have uh, groups of th- maybe three or four guys, three or four gals, a, a triad or quadrat, whatever, that we'll meet. And then we have journey groups, which are men with men and women with women, very intentional, deeper study and accountability, but our normal group is, tends to be a, a group that's mixed. It'll be men and women. It might be husbands and wives and those who aren't married or any combinations of that, I mean, and even across the generations. It's a little easier to get candid when it's three dudes who are meeting at Denny's every, every week for breakfast or wherever, That that actually gets a little bit easier over time to start being candid with one another and to live authentically with one another. It's a lot harder in our normal groups. And so here's your homework, group leaders and those of you who are in groups. These first couple of weeks when groups start, I want you to talk about candor. How are we going to facilitate living authentically with one another? Are we going to break up into men and women? Are we going to break up into smaller groups? How will we do this? Because the ability to confess our sins, to be real, to say, I need support, I need help in this area because of X, Y, Z, this is critical to true friendship. It's critical to biblical community. Without it, it's just surface. It's just a Christian version of, you know, a book club or a country club or or, or whatever. This is what makes biblical community so powerful, candor. A third characteristic, you have constancy, you have candor from our Lord Jesus. He doesn't, he never pulls punches with us. He comes to us in truth with what's going on. And then there is compassion, compassion. Who among us? hasn't experienced the loving, faithful, rejuvenating power of Jesus's compassion and mercy. When we suffer from the tribulations of life, he's there to offer us strength and encouragement and support through the Holy Spirit, through through our church family. When we struggle with our sin and our brokenness, and once again we run back to whatever that idol is in our life, he doesn't He doesn't chide, he doesn't fuss and demean and shame and turn his back on us, but instead he comes to us as one who took on flesh and understands our struggle. How important compassion is as we live candidly and authentically with one another. The the Apostle Paul understood this. And one of these passages that talk about candor with one another, you see compassion interwoven throughout it. In Galatians chapter 6, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught up in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. In other words, by saying spiritual, not that you know, you're better than the other person. It's just that you, you are not caught up in that sin. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Do you do you see how Paul wraps compassion? The, the law of Christ is what? That we love one another. He wraps compassion right in with this concept of candor. Yes, we come to one another. We need the rebuke of a friend, but that open rebuke has to be saturated and wrapped in compassion and love for one another. I could listen to the words of my friend who was speaking truth to me that day because in my heart, I knew he was for me, that he loved me. And there was compassion in his spirit as he understood that, while I was sinning and struggling, <laughs> he got it because he sins and struggles. And we're two pilgrims, both needing God's grace and mercy. That candor and compassion, when they are married together in a friendship, that is iron sharpening iron. That is when the Holy Spirit begins to do miraculous things in our lives Than the biblical community and friendship that we enjoy. One final characteristic you have constancy, you have candor and compassion. Finally, there's consideration. Proverbs 15, verse 23 says, Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. This is consideration, this is tact, this is diplomacy. This is discernment and wisdom as to how to come to someone in candor in order to be a a help and not a harm. Now, our Savior was prophesied to be this kind of considerate, tactful person. In Isaiah 50, that, that servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the sovereign Lord, has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. Isn't that what we see in Jesus? I mean, the the perfect example that I think of is in John 4, when he comes to the woman at the well, as you read that entire story, as he interacts with this woman who is a Samaritan and an adulteress, having had many lovers, and in that society, the lowest of the low, and yet when Jesus interacts with her, you see his faithfulness to her, you see his candor. He doesn't he doesn't ignore the fact that she's living in adultery. And yet in his words, there is this compassion and love and the perfect uh, selection of phrases and sentences and, and the approach It's just tactful and considerate and gentle so that rather than offending someone, he helps heal and restore and bring her to saving faith. Our truest friend, He's no bull in a china shop. He just comes into someone's life and wrecks and crashes around wreaking havoc. He doesn't do that to us, does he? Now, now sometimes he does do the McFly moment, right? You you know what I mean? Hello, McFly. You know, he has to. Sometimes we need a McFly moment to to get our attention. But most of the time, more often, how does the Lord come to us? He comes in a quiet voice, the prodding of the Holy Spirit comes through the verse that just leaps off the page and seems to sear our soul. We can't get away from it. It's a a song lyric that that we cannot get out of our head that either convicts or encourages and empowers us. Sometimes it's the thought that surfaces during the middle of my sermon, which means you then don't hear the next 10 minutes of anything that I say, (laughs) And that's okay. And a lot of times, he comes to us with that timely card or that telephone call or that arm around the shoulder or that invitation to what can be an uncomfortable lunch. And that's how he comes to us through our Christian friends. I hope this year, as we enter into this season of ministry, where we are stressing biblical community encouraging you to engage in biblical community within our church, that God will use it to develop deep friendships that end up transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, that's our wish, that's our prayer for everything that we do as it relates to discipleship. We gather together so that you, through your miraculous power and the indwelling Holy Spirit, are able to transform us into the, to your image. Lord Jesus, would this be an incredibly effective year of biblical community. May our church family become an even deeper, better, stronger family. And Lord, may we be friends, true friends to one another, as you, Lord Jesus, have been our truest friend. May we be candid and constant. May we be compassionate and considerate. May we love one another as you have loved us. In your name I ask these things, Jesus. Amen.